Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, April 11th. We are here live. We're going to open the phone lines right now, and it is a free-for-all for this first hour. So start dialing right now. I promise you'll get through the number to join us, 855 855- Nine five zero three eight three five. The first hour is a free for all. Anything goes. We can talk about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority. You name it. We'll talk about it. Anything goes. Just pick up the phone and join us. Eight five five nine five zero. 3835. Phone lines are open and available right now, so jump in while you've got the chance. Also today, we will be doing a second hour. It's going to be a book review on a, uh, a, a book about statins. So I'm, I'm doing a book review itself, but I'm also going to be covering a lot of really good info about statins. Uh, if you or anybody you know is either on a statin or considering taking one or feeling pressure from your doctor to take one, you don't want to miss this show. Now, the second hour you'll need to listen to at Let'sTruck.com. So if you're normally listening on TNC Radio Live, uh, you can switch over in the second hour. Go to Let'sTruck.com. You'll see the Listen Live button right there at the top. Uh, I will also take some calls, some Q&A at the end of that uh, book review and and, uh, talk about statins. So if you have any questions, I will open up the phone lines and we'll take some questions then as well. Otherwise, it's all about what you want to talk about today. Uh, I have some things I can cover here before we jump into the calls so uh if you want to get through dial us up right now all right so talking about rates uh i was reading some of the uh some of the stuff that was coming out of the tia's recent meeting um in san diego and uh this was by noel perry i would noel perry used to do a segment on our show been following for years he is the tia's chief economist um pretty interesting stuff he was talking about there we had excess demand during uh 2021 at 26 percent excess demand now that's awesome for us the people who own and drive trucks because that's what we've said forever supply and demand is what drive rates nothing else supply and demand that that's the bulk of the rate i think i've you know 90 percent of the rate is going to be in supply and demand the other 10 percent comes down to your ability to negotiate a better rate to build value for your customers so they're willing to pay you more those kind of things but that and that 10 percent is important don't discount that 10 percent but that's about the only part of the rate you might be able to affect. Maybe a little more in certain segments or certain circumstances, but for the most part, 90% of the rate is just supply and demand. Now, I have been reading um, a ton of stuff on social media about rates falling, and they are falling. There's no doubt about it. I said last week that we were down 60 cents Uh, From January, I'm waiting to see some new numbers now to see if that trend is continuing. But it it certainly seems to be. When I go through the rates on the boards, they seem like they're continuing to fall. And who knows where the bottom might be. It's time to get prepared. We could talk about that. But the other thing I want to talk about is almost everybody I saw complaining about rates was blaming it on the brokers. The brokers are gouging us. Well, why all of a sudden would the brokers be gouging you? Rates have been strong for several years now. Uh, Certainly the last year and a half plus, almost two years, they've been really strong. So why weren't the brokers gouging you then? We never seem to complain when the ball's in our court and we have the advantage. 
But the minute that supply and demand curve shifts, somehow we think it's the broker's fault. Well, if the brokers had that kind of power to gouge you, why wouldn't they do it all the time? So if rates get to $4 a mile, why don't the brokers, or the brokers just take $2 of it if they have the ability to gouge you? Nobody ever seems to think about that. The brokers are not gouging you. They can't. Because it's a free market, there are thousands, tens of thousands of brokers. So what do you think? They all got together and decided to gouge the owner-operators just these last couple of months? That doesn't even make sense. Yet that's all you hear across social media. The brokers are killing us. They're crooks. Let me give you the numbers. You know, every time this topic comes up and I ask an owner-operator, what do you think is a fair piece of the pie for the broker? And it really, it shouldn't matter anyway. But since everybody complains about it, we might as well talk about it. Most of the time, most people say, well, 15%. Some say 10, some say 10 to 15. Well, the number's out there. And so I, I now have the numbers for 21. Uh, here it is. I'm going to read this from, uh, this is a quote from Noel Perry. The irony is that while 2021 was a great market for freight, average broker rates stayed relatively steady during the year. The gross margin percentage for a brokerage house with more than $100 million in revenue. So these are the big brokers. So if anybody could gouge, it would probably be them. These are companies making more than $100 million in revenue. Um was 13.5% in the fourth quarter of 2021. A year earlier, it was exactly the same. For the industry as a whole, if we take all of the brokers, no matter what their size is, the average margin closed out 2022 at 13.4%. It got as high as 14% in the third quarter, before falling back to 13.4% for the final quarter. So does anybody really believe that the brokers are gouging us when they're getting 13, 14% of the rate? And if you think they are, you have an option. You could skip the broker and go do that work yourself. I think you'll find out that you're far better off to pay the broker his 13 or 14% to go find the freight, negotiate the freight, pay for the freight, manage the freight, do all the things that that shipper needs done that you as an owner-operator or a small carrier probably don't have time to do. Now, if you disagree with me, I would love to hear your take on this. If you think that 13 or 14% is either wrong, I'd love to hear your reasoning why, or if you think 13 to 14% is too high, well, call me and talk about that as well. But those are the numbers. Um, let's see. The invoice per load for the brokers went up because rates went up. But they're still taking the same percentage they've always taken. And when rates go up, they should profit more just like you do. We all should profit more when rates are higher, and that is exactly the way the system works. So if we look at the, in, the average invoice per load for the entire brokerage industry, it was $2,004 in the fourth quarter of 2020. Uh, it rose to $2,558 by the fourth quarter of 2021. Uh, in the second quarter of 2020, which included the first days of the pandemic and plunging spot rates, the broker was invoicing $1,564. Uh, actually, at that time, their margin got a little higher. Sometimes as rates go lower, their margins get a little higher. It was just a weird time. Um, the brokers during that, that uh, crazy quarter when we locked everything down, 
their margin was 16%. That's the highest I've seen it in several years, but it only lasted a quarter, and that was a really unusual quarter. So nothing new here. It's always been this way. Um, Let's see, where are we on rates? Uh, Yeah, here's the number. We're we're down uh, not quite. These were the February numbers, not quite 60 cents a mile. I said 60 cents. Looks like it's about 54 cents uh, on April 3rd. It was down about 54 cents. Um, and I still think it's it's falling. And again, who knows how far it might fall. Um, so that's what's going on with rates right now. I don't expect them to get better anytime soon. Doesn't look like fuel prices are coming down anytime soon. So it looks like uh, we're in for a pretty rough time as owner-operators and small carriers. That's not a bad thing. Uh, I really think it's time to kind of clean out the market anyway. We've had a decade-plus of good, strong rates, a couple of years of outrageously strong rates and most of that time we had very low fuel prices so we have a lot of people in this industry carriers owner operators and brokers it's a whole bunch of brokers that aren't going to make it through this and it's not a bad thing it's uh it's how we kind of clean out the industry and get back to being efficient we will lose a lot of carriers we'll lose a lot of owner operators we'll lose a lot of brokers your job is to make sure it's not you, uh, and we're certainly here to help that. So if you have any questions, pick up the phone. Calls are starting to come in, so dial us up and join us, 855-950-3835. We're going to get started today in Kentucky. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Oh, it was a busy weekend in the kitchen, and I am so excited to have canned goods with me. And uh, the uh, we've got uh, twelve pints of canned meatloaf, and uh, I think I ended up with uh, nine half pints of uh, uh, chili. You know, I was looking at your pictures. I think what you have, uh-huh. I think what you have there are quarts. The big jars are quarts, and the smaller jars are pints. Okay, well, um, okay. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, uh, I've seen a lot of mason jars, and I'm pretty good at identifying them. I'm pretty sure those big jars are quartz and the other <laughs> jars are pints. Okay, I might have. Uh, they, I, I am really new to the canning thing. Um, we, we just went out and got our canner this weekend. I was watching the All-American because uh, I'm really impressed with their quality. Um, but I didn't want to delay getting going, so we ran to Menards and got a, they got a Miro Presto or something for 108 bucks, and Excellent. we got started. Well, and you did a hell of a job this weekend. You did a bunch of canning. You did a bunch of fermenting. That was awesome. Yeah, we got the fermenting going on. The wife is uh, is going to uh, check the, you know, keep an eye on our ferments going, uh, and she's she's seeing my progress. Because I finally have gotten serious and I'm not dabbling anymore. I'm just going, uh, going, going all in with the keto. Good. I think it's life or I think it's life or death for me, and it's it's unfortunate I had to end up planted in the hospital for a weekend to get serious about it. And I I wish uh, my fellow drivers that are like me, I wish you'd you'd do it and stick to it before you end up in the hospital with them trying to put a needle in your arm and give you insulin. Uh, get to it, save your life. Uh, the sooner you do it, the better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I, I, I've read, I, I was, I'm going to talk about the second hour today because I'm going to do a, a book review on statins and cholesterol and some other things. And I, I did a deep dive on this a couple of years ago, but I, I must have missed some of this. This one, I just don't remember seeing anywhere um, really important for anybody who is worried about becoming diabetic or may already be diabetic or facing neuropathy, which is one of the horrible effects of uh, diabetes. Statins increase your risk of getting diabetes by 
30%. I can't believe we're not talking about that a whole lot more. And statins also um, severely increase the risk of getting neuropathy if you've already got diabetes. Um, And I'll talk more about why it happens and the mechanisms and all that today in the show. Um, But, you know, diabetes is rampant. It's getting worse every year. So congratulations on taking control of it, because the good news is you will cure this. It, it, it happens every time. If you, if you just eat the right food, this goes away. It's not that complicated. I, I can see, though, why the diabetes is increasing at such a rapid rate. Um, I'm wearing a uh, continuous glucose monitor, and, um, like, I'll get beef sticks that last week didn't, didn't even move the needle on my blood sugar. And uh, I'll I'll start chopping on them, and then I'll I'll do a scan, and I'll look and see it's up to you know two eighty nine, and I'm like, what in the world? Uh, from week to week, they actually change the ingredients label, so you have to look every single time you buy something. You have to look and see what the ingredients and what the carb count is because uh, they change it on you. You know, that's a good point. Um, I had an experience with that. There was a line of salad dressings. That that's one of you know, we talk about sugar and carbohydrates being a huge problem and grains in our diet. Um, Dr. Mercola actually believes that bad oils are just as bad as any of those other things. He sometimes talks about the fact that he thinks they might be worse uh, because it's the bad oils that can cause the heart disease and uh, bad cholesterol and, and those kind of things. But there was a line of salad dressings for a while that I had been recommending because they only used avocado oil and then one day and i had been recommending them for a year or two and then one day i just happened to be in a store and i saw them in there and i grabbed a bottle and i just to refresh my memory i looked at the ingredient list and they had dropped all of their olive oil and changed all of their salad dressings to sunflower oil the only reason I was recommending wow. those was that they used olive oil. There's only a couple oils we should be using that come from plants. Uh, and that's olive oil, avocado oil, and maybe coconut oil. Palm oil we could throw in there too. Um, but coconut oil and palm oil don't make good salad dressings. So you're really down to just you know olive oil or avocado oil to make a good salad dressing. And yet this company dropped the olive oil, replaced it with sunflower oil. At that point, they might as well just be every other brand on the market because all salad dressings you find in the grocery store use garbage oils. So you're right. It is important to even when you've been using a brand, I had been recommending that brand for years. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, they changed, never said anything about it that I found anywhere. And that is a huge change. When they had olive oil, I would say absolutely yeah. use that. When they go to sunflower oil, I would say do not put that stuff in your body. My or my um, my nutritionist at, at the Nutrisystem thing, she was talking to me a week or so ago about, well, maybe we should drop back to baby steps. And I said, no, I'm I'm too heavily invested. We're gonna go we're gonna go the other direction. We're gonna go all in. We're gonna go a hundred percent. I'm going to start making all my own food so I know what's in it and I don't get those surprises. I can't afford, uh, I can't afford to look and see my sugar creeping up to 300 for heaven's sake. So, you know, let, let's talk about something. So I'm assuming when you were on the road before you ate most of your food from restaurants and, and whatever, right? Right. And for the last few weeks, I've, I've been trying hard to, to stick to it. And, and I keep getting a lot of nasty surprises. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So let's compare the two, because one of the things we hear from people when we talk about curing diabetes and, and all these other problems through food, the first thing truck drivers say is, well, I can't do that. I'm on the road all the time. Well, of course you can do it. And, and not only can you do it, we can show that there are multiple benefits. One, you're going to get healthy because you can control every ingredient in your food. Now I'm not trying to do it anymore. I'm doing it now. Doing it. There you go. That's right. So you control the ingredients. That's huge for your health. You control everything that goes into that food. But 
you just said you bought a canner for $108, and you canned quite a bit of food on your very first weekend at this. Now, not only are you going to save money on food, it's a whole lot cheaper to make your own food than buying it out. So we have the quality issue. We've got the cost. What about the convenience? Isn't it nice to just pull into some place at the end of the day and grab a jar of your own canned meatloaf or chili or whatever it is, heat it up and eat it? Isn't that a whole lot more convenient than going in and dealing with the restaurant? It sure is. I don't have to take the time to stop and look, try to find something, uh, be disappointed if they don't have it. Yeah. There, there's... This is actually my very first. Go ahead. This was my very first day of having my good food with me, my own canned food with me. That's and, exciting. Um, tonight when I do a layover, yeah, it is. You know, you know, I had to try it. The chili is actually just as good. Uh, cold in the jar as it was last night, hot in the pan. I couldn't believe it. Isn't that crazy? Well, chili, you know, is one of those things. I've always believed that chili's much better the second day. It, it Chili's got, you know, some complex right. flavors in there. So the longer something with like that with complex flavors, the longer it sits, usually the better it gets. Those flavors start to meld. So basically your chili gets cooked twice when you can it. You cook it the first time to, to cook it. Then you can it. Now it gets cooked again. And it really is as good or better than making that fresh chili at home. And it is absolutely so convenient. You open the jar, heat it up, and eat it. Uh, What could get easier? Yeah. Yeah, tonight when I'm doing a layover in Atlanta, I'm just going to pop a jar of chili and just right out of the jar. Excellent. Excellent. And did you say you did meatloaf? Yeah, I did uh, uh, meatloaf. I've got 12 of those. Um, the, the meatloaf is a little bit more, you know, you were talking about how it can be a little bit off-putting when it's cold and you open up the jar. Oh, the yeah. meatloaf kind of has that Alpo look and texture. <laughs> right. But the taste. The taste is excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So I warn people about that because I don't want them to think when they open the jar, maybe it went bad or something. And it's only ground meat that does that. When you do like shredded pork or shredded beef or chicken or turkey, when you open the jar, it actually smells really good, just like it would, you know, normally. But for some reason, when you do ground meats, they look a little funky in the jar. And when you open it up, I'm just going to say it. They smell a little like dog food. And you think, oh, is that all right? Right. But the minute you heat it up, that just goes away. I mean, I honestly can't tell the difference between canned ground beef or or ground pork or whatever you want to use. Uh, I've done ground venison, ground elk. You could do all kinds of things. Once you heat it up, that goes away. So I, I just warn people, don't let it put you off. When you first open the jar, you might be a little surprised. Yeah, we lost him. All right. We are... Going to head off to Kansas this time. Abraham, welcome to the program. Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. What can I help you with today? I sent you an oil sample. Had a couple questions about it. Put an put an OPS on over Christmas break, I guess, or at the beginning of the year, and I'm trying to figure out or decide. How long of uh, intervals or how many miles I'm going to put on the oil? I'm just running a standard 1540 Rotella. Copper numbers went up, which I think isn't a problem. It's flagged at a level two, but I was just going to run that by you and see what you thought. So um, the question is how long you should run the oil? Yeah, how many miles since? Since I've never done extended intervals, and I'm a little nervous about it. Okay, so are you using bypass filtration? Yeah, I put put the OPS on uh, at the beginning of the year. Got it. So the, the, uh, and what year and what engine? Uh, The truck itself is a 97. It's a 5EK cat. Okay, so what we like to do on that is, 
we go 25,000 miles, and on the first, we kind of use what we call like an A-B service. So two different services that we rotate through back and forth. So on the first service at 25,000 miles, you're going to change the OPS filter only and take a sample. And if the sample comes back clean. And that's what I. Oh, go ahead. That's what I. Well, I guess I probably did it a little bit early. I think I did it at around 21,000. Yeah, not that, that's okay. Um, it, it, we don't need to be exact. Sometimes if you're at a shop and you say, well, I got a couple thousand more miles, but I've got time, th- then go ahead and get it done. Um, the same way on the other end, if you go a little past 25,000, it's not going to hurt anything. Um, so the first service, well, the, and with, with it, go with ahead. it being on there new or new to me or not, not that that's too familiar with it. I, di- I didn't want to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's wanted to play it safe. In other words, that's fine. I mean, we could probably put the range at anywhere between 20 and 30,000 miles. It's going to be just fine. So, you know, do it based on convenience somewhere in between those two numbers. And that's the first service, what we would call the A service. Change the OPS filter, take a sample. If the sample is clean, then we just continue on. The lab will tell you if there's some reason you need to change the oil. Um, Then at 50,000 miles, we would do the B service, and the B service would be the same thing Plus, so you change the OPS filter, take a sample, but at that time, you're also going to change your full flow filters. Gotcha, gotcha. And that is, I know you, you, I hear you talk about it all the time. I'm, I guess I was under the assumption or most of the time when you're, when you're talking about extended intervals, you were talking about uh, synthetic oils or a semi-synthetic, since I'm just, running the regular Rotella, uh, can I still keep on running it as long as the sample says it's okay? Yeah, you know that... Without that, doing damage to the engine or being safe? Yeah, that's an interesting question, and we should talk about that more. And I think it was the the car industry that screwed us up on the whole synthetic thing. I am a big believer in synthetics. Synthetics are a superior oil in every way. But honestly... They, I am too, and the funny funny thing is, I run it in everything else but the engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know, once you start to see that how long your oil is going to be able to go in there, then you might want to switch to synthetic. When you have to change your oil every fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand miles, synthetic doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. There's not enough of an advantage if you're going to do the same oil changes. But this idea in the car industry. You know, we, we used to change oil at 3,000 miles on a car, but then they said, well, if you use synthetic, you can go longer. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Synthetic doesn't last longer than conventional oil. Conventional oil lasts just as long because neither oil wears out. They just get dirty, and they both get dirty at the same rate. So there really isn't any logic behind saying you can go longer with the synthetic oil. You can go longer if you keep your oil clean, and that's the idea behind the OPS. We have the filtration. We have the heating element. We get all the contaminants. You know, we actually refer to the OPS as an onboard oil refining system. It's more than just a filter. We're refining that oil back to its original condition or darn close to it, and it stays that way much longer with an OPS on. So, yeah, whether you're using synthetic, semi-synthetic, or conventional, we still go by the oil sample, and there are still times where you might get 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 miles out of your oil without changing it. Okay. Well, I don't know. I probably should switch over, but uh, I don't know. Uh, It's got close to half a million on the end frame and, and I'm adding, I'm adding, uh, I don't know if it's a lot, I'd, I'd like it to be less, but I'm, I'm adding a gallon, gallon pretty close to 4,800, 5,000 miles. So, Ooh. and I'm, and, and I'm worried or nervous if I, if I did, yeah. uh, if I did switch yeah. over, I'd probably be adding more. Yeah. Now that you've told sooner. me, now that you've told me that don't switch, I'm curious as to why this thing would be using that much oil, which is 500,000 miles on the end frame. You, you know, 
I wish I had the answer to that. Uh, it was done by the same shop. I had it done before, and another one always had good success. And it, it may not be the shop's fault at all. They may have done an absolutely perfect in-frame, didn't make any mistakes. It, it You've never sampled before, correct? The other day, I actually posted in Trucking Tribe. Um, I posted and said, if you have questions and you can't get through on the air, go ahead and post them and I'll answer them. So I've got some up here and I'll do those while we are waiting to get some calls in. So if you want to join us, 855 855- Nine five zero three eight three five. Phone lines are wide open, uh, and I believe we've got our technology back under control. And for now, everything seems to be working. So here is uh, one of the questions from truckingtribe.com. Uh, if you're not a member of truckingtribe.com or healthytribe.com, you really should be. Lots of great information. I answer a lot of questions over there as well. Uh, I try to answer them all day and all night. I know I was up at about 4.30 this morning answering questions in there. So here's one of them. And this is an interesting question, something we've never really dealt with before in the trucking industry, not in the 35 years I've been doing this. Uh, Here's the question. It's from Rodney. I have a dry van. I purchased it for $16,000 in 2019. Three-year depreciation, uh, which is at $10,000 now, and I've sold the trailer for $58,000. That is just unbelievable. We know, you know, prices on equipment have gone through the roof, but I'm just having a hard time believing, and I know it's true. I, I don't think he's lying. I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around these numbers, bought a dry van for $16,000 in 2019, and now in 2022, he sold it for $58,000. Then it says, I'm going to do a trade for a new belly dump at $50,000. Okay, so maybe what he means then is he's getting $58,000 in trade-in. Uh, He says he sold it, but then he's going to do a trade. So that's a little confusing. I'm going to assume he traded it. That that, that sounds like what he's talking about here. Now I've got to try to wrap my head around this. So the first thing we have to do is the uh, tax law changes of, was it 2016, I think? That did away with what we called like kind exchange meaning under like kind exchange if you had a gain and and we're not even talking about capital gains before we will be talking about capital gains in this transaction which is what's so weird about it but before you almost always got less for your equipment when you sold it or traded it in than you paid for it so there was no capital gain But what there is is called recapture of depreciation, and you have to pay tax on that. Under the old tax laws, you could, you basically wrapped that gain up into the new vehicle, and you didn't have to pay the recapture of depreciation. You just adjusted the basis on the new equipment. Now, I know this this sounds confusing what's basis and gain and capital gain and recapture of depreciation but i'll try to simplify this as i go through it um so now forget the old way there is no like kind exchange anymore whether you sell something or trade it in you first have to pay either your recapture of depreciation or your capital gain or possibly both. Um, So let's walk through this because I've got to kind of do it step by step in my own head because this is such an odd situation. So we paid $16,000 for the trailer, depreciated it to 10. 10 is now the new basis. That is like your price um, it's what we call the basis in that. Now, he sold it for 58000 
So 16,000 bought, depreciated down to 10. So we do have $6,000 of recapture of depreciation. That $6,000 is taxed at 25%. So that's 6, 12, $1,500 tax you would owe on the recapture of depreciation. That would add $1,500 to your tax bill when you file your income taxes. That's when you pay these things. But, but, and this is a big old but, you also have, uh, let me do the math here, $42,000 of capital gains. Now, he bought it in 2019, so that means uh, it's a long-term capital gain. Uh, i got to go look up what the long-term capital gain rates are. I don't deal with capital gains much because uh, in trucking, we almost never have capital gains. Capital gains actually mean um, that you sold something for more than what you paid for it. So you paid something, you kept it for a while, you sold it, and you actually got more money. That usually involves um, like investment properties or real estate or, or things that appreciate in value. Equipment almost never appreciates in value. It almost always depreciates. Um, Oh, so let's see. It looks like we've got weird capital gains rates now. I forgot we have that uh, that sliding scale. So it really depends on... I'd have to see somebody's tax return, actually, to know what their capital gain rate is going to be. Uh, it could be zero. That's almost never the case. 15 or 20%, um, depending on a lot of other factors. So without looking at a tax return, I wouldn't be able to... Uh, know what that number is going to be. But worst case scenario, uh, we had a capital gain of $42,000. That means, depending again on his income and a bunch of other things, worst case scenario would be you could owe $8,400 in capital gains tax. Now, I doubt that he's in the highest bracket, so it's probably going to be the uh, 15% number. So let me do that math in my head real quick. 42,000, that would be what, 6,600, I think, 6,400 in capital gains tax. That's the most likely number. And then we would also have that 1,600 of recapture of depre or 1,500 recapture of depreciation. So you're looking at about eight thousand dollars tax owed on this transaction so we love the fact that we can get more money for our equipment now but i don't hear many people talking about the tax consequences of that happening and that's that's what we're talking about here the tax consequences of this transaction and and it's still it's still better than it used to be the fact that he got that much money out of the trailer he got fifty-eight thousand. Um, his net, though, on that is really fifty thousand, because eight thousand of that has to go to pay for that recapture of depreciation and the capital gains tax rate. All right, so uh, I'm going to go back and see if we've got some phone calls. It looks like we might uh, we might have Matt back, and also we've got uh, about fifteen minutes left in the segment. We have wide open phone lines been kind of a weird day with technology but i think we're uh we're back on track and uh that, that was actually a pretty good test every time i do something like this with our new technology i'll learn what works and what doesn't uh we thought we had the internet thing all figured out but i forgot about uh coming into the building really puts a damper on every internet connection we have which is satellite that's got to be outside uh, cellular, when you move into a building like this, concrete buildings and steel roofs, and um, you, that can really mess with your signal, and it did. So I 
thought I'd piggyback on uh, engineering's Wi-Fi in here, and then somebody must have reset their router because uh, it looks like that's what messed me up. But we're here. Phone lines are wide open. Dial us up, 855-950-3835. All right, uh, Matt, you with us? Yeah, Kevin, you there? Yeah, go ahead. We lost you earlier. Uh, hey, I have a question about uh, fermenting. Okay, go ahead. Um, can, is, is it ab- Are you able to use like old pickle jars and wash them? Yes. And you then, can, instead of mason? Okay. Yeah, you can use any kind of glass container you want. I wouldn't use anything other than glass. Plastic would not be a good idea. We're going to leach chemicals out of the plastic. Uh, metal of any kind would not be a good idea because we are creating an acid. An acid will attack metals, and then we would leach things out of the metal. So you, you, it, you want it to be glass, but other than that, it doesn't matter. I have some... Um, they're almost like decorative jar kind of things, but they're they're glass and they're big. So I tend to use those for pickles because I like taking um, whole cucumbers and, and fermenting whole cucumbers for uh, my spicy garlic dill pickles. And you really can't get many whole cucumbers into a quart mason jar. You can't get many at all. So I have some, like, two-gallon size even. Um, The other thing you can absolutely use other than glass, and this is what you'll see when when you start going into bigger vessels, like they'll use for sauerkraut a lot of times. You can use ceramic. Um, Sarah, actually, I think she got it for me for Christmas this past year. She got me a big, big... It, I don't know if it's like three or four gallons. It's a really big ceramic crock. And if you know anybody who was, um, you know, traditional Eastern European, they did a lot of sauerkraut. And the way they used to do it is they would have these big ceramic crocks that they would put down in their root cellar, and they'd pack them full of salted cabbage. And the cabbage, you know, the salt pulls the water out. It makes its own brine, and then it ferments. And... They would never, ever really empty that thing. That thing would be down there for years, and they would kind of reach down into the bottom and pull the bottom stuff out because it had been fermenting longer, and then they would just keep packing more fresh salted uh, cabbage into the top, and that would go on for years. Now, can I, can I wrap the top with, like, saran wrap and pull the hole? Instead of putting the lid on, uh, there, there's let it. There's um, two things here we want to be careful of. One, you, yes, if you're going to put some sort of a sealed lid on there, it needs to either be loose uh, so that pressure can escape, or you need to burp it every day. Open up the the jar, let a little pressure out. I have seen people explode um, quart jars, quart glass jars yeah. from. Too much pressure from the ferment. But there's another issue here. We also want to be careful about allowing other bacteria to get in there. Now, the the salt level normally will protect it against bad bacteria, but not always. I saw somebody posted a ferment the other day that had a horrible case of mold. One of the worst I had ever seen. I'm not sure what what they did wrong. Um, but I did notice that they weren't using fermentation lids. Those are your best bet because those you can put them on tight. They allow the pressure to escape out, but they don't allow any air back in so we don't have to worry about contamination. Now, I've done it, like you said, kind of open fermentation, and most of the time if you work somewhat clean, you'll be okay like that. But if you get mold, that'll be why. So will the mold show up on top? Yeah, that's a, that's exactly where you see it. And if it's on top, a, a lot of the you know hardcore fermenters say if it's just on top, scrape it off and don't worry scrape about it. it. But I've also yeah. seen where it'll start to grow fingers down in. And at that point, I, I would just get rid of it. For me, I, I have never had a ferment go moldy. But I think if I did, I think I would just throw it out and start over. 
yeah, because I'm out. I'm out. You know, two three weeks. Yeah, um, and 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 you should be so fine. I, I, you know, if, if you start your ferment before you leave and then take them with you, you could easily um, have them for two or three weeks. Well, I, I leave them. At, I leave them at home. Is it? Well, at some point, you're going to want to take them with you right. to eat, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, and, and the beauty of fermentation is, again, you don't have to refrigerate those. So you could take them with you on the road for two or three weeks and not refrigerate them. Yep. Okay. All right, Kim. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to... Utah this time. Oh, hold on. There we go. Ray in Utah, welcome to the program. Yeah, Kevin. Hey, on those trailers, they are that much. And new utility is a hundred thousand for a box drive in. You gotta be kidding me. Holy cow, when we built the yeah, you- when we did the signature trailer which had the Best of everything, the lowest rolling resistance, best tires you could get, disc brakes, all the aerodynamic treatments we knew how to do. We even did an upgraded floor on it, all kinds of crazy stuff. And we were selling those things for 33000 Yeah, they were um, coming in the other day and trying to sell us for uh, Hyundai 2016 for 60000 a piece. Boy, that sounds like a bargain after what you just told me, but that's an insane <laughs> price. It, it really is, and it's just crazy. But I have a question. I Let me give you a quick rundown. I run the MX-13, 2022 Peterbilt, with the 12-speed auto and 264 rear. And my question is, a direct drive is 11. I can stay in direct drive up to 63 miles and 62 miles an hour, and that puts me at 1,400. If I go to 63 miles an hour, it drops me to 1110 on the RPMs. Am I better to stay in 62 miles an hour in direct, or am I better to go to 12 and be at 1110 RPMs on fuel? So when you're driving it, does the 1110 feel okay? Does it feel like you've still got some yeah, acceleration yeah. when you need it? And... Okay. Yeah, they both feel great. Okay. So then it's, we, it's hard to think my RPM's that high. Then we want to stay in the lower RPM then. Yes, we're giving up a tiny so little bit of efficiency by being out of direct, but that lower RPM, um, the slower piston speed, that's something we've been talking about a lot more now. But the bigger factor here is the lower RPM generates more heat, and we want that heat for the emission system. You know, when we start running up at those higher RPMs, then we start reducing the amount of heat that, that stays in the engine, and that's when we start having emission issues. So as long as it feels good you know the engine doesn't get real rough down at those rpms you still got some acceleration uh i would say stay down in the lower rpm as often as you can okay and another question it's got that where it skips gears you know right and i'm one of those that takes off really slow and then if i do it goes through every gear if i give it a little more throttle then it's going to go three five six have it will skip three or four of them am i better off to give a little more throttle and have it skip gears or stay going slow and going through all the gears i'm not in a hurry to get up and move i don't know that it's going to matter much either way now do you have any kind of instant read fuel economy gauge in there yeah i do and it's worthless okay about five tenths off i do it i do it through your gauge truck I've had it for 60000 and since I've been keeping it on uh, fuel gauges, I'm getting 8.2 for my overall average. Okay, so here's the good news. Even though it's not accurate, we can still use it as a comparison because it will be inaccurate Correct. about the same way most of the time. There might be a little variation in there, but I wouldn't yeah. worry too much about that. So what I would do is experiment. Yeah 
going through the gears and watch the fuel consumption. And if you can see a significant difference in one way or the other, then I would do the one that gives you the better fuel consumption. Other than that, it's not much of a factor either way. Oh, okay. Just trying to get every little thing I can out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your help on that. You're welcome. Anything else I can help you with today? Thanks, Kevin. Nope. No, we're good. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right. So uh, that's going to do it for the, the first hour here. We uh, we are all out of time. A little rough there. We had uh, a, a little bit of a technology glitch, but we managed to stay on the air most of that time. Uh, I think I was off for a little bit. And we're learning. We're getting closer and closer to releasing some of our new technology that we've been working on in the background. And don't forget, um, there is a second hour that I'm getting ready to roll into uh, right now. We'll take a very short break at the top here, um, probably no more than uh, a minute or two at the top of the hour, and then we will be right back. I do have phones available. The next hour, I'm doing a book review and talking about statins and cholesterol. If you, have, if you or anybody you know is taking a statin or their doctor is trying to convince you to take a statin, you don't want to miss this. And I will be taking Q&A as well. So um, we're going to wrap this first hour up. I'm going to take a short break, about two minutes, just to reset a couple things on my end. And uh, so don't go away. Uh, Don't run off. We've got plenty more coming, and uh, you're going to want to hear this. I think a lot of people are going to be shocked at some of the things we now know about cholesterol and statins both. So uh, be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy, always. Do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford.